Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. I'm Lauren O'Neill. And I'm Nico Bakulich. And man, that theme song you did is really good. Oh, you know, I, really, I appreciate you saying that. It's easy to lose track of that. Now, I love getting praise, especially first things first in an episode, but would you mind if we got biblical? Oh, yeah, let's get biblical. But before we do that, <laughs> we have a couple things. I know that seems really rude of me to just set that up and then immediately like... And then just leave me hanging. Prevent the yeah, payoff. Yeah, thanks. But thanks I'm going to do nothing. it anyways because yeah. that's what you're into. Great. What? Um, I'm the non-believing sort of Jew. Also, this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. I'm the ex-Christian. I'm now an atheist. And this podcast is not for children due to cussing and adult themes such as violence and sex, which are prominent themes in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, in real life. Uh, I usually read the NRSV or New Revised Standard Version of Um, the Bible. Did you read a different one this week? I did not. Wow, congratulations. I read the NIV, New International, New International (laughs) Nersion. Mm -hmm. Good start. And um, I've had a couple glasses of wine already, (laughs) and maybe I need to rethink my podcast strategy. Uh, Hard to say. Should I? Nah. Um, That seemed very easy to say, actually. Today, we're going to talk about a little book named Hebrews. (laughs) That's right. And that was totally worth the wind-up. We're going to talk about the book of of Hebrews this week. Um, Book of Hebrews. It's a a slim volume, not as slim as some of the others we've been dealing with. Yeah. It's another uh, Pauline epistle-type deal. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, as we've seen, do you want to do some fast facts? Yeah, fast, fast fact it. Think fast, fact fast. How about that? Think fast, fact facts fast. I'm going on a facts fast. I will no longer be receiving faxes for the next month. That's great. Yeah, I think we've been getting too many, anyways, and I was really going to talk to you about it. Okay. Yeah, I know because I signed up for all the facts newsletters. Like when I sign up for a tiny letter. I click the button. You're like, fax me, please. That makes it fax me mm-hmm. instead of emailing me. Yeah. I mean, upwards of 15 hours a day, that modem is just going nuts. Yeah. It's just screaming mm-hmm. and it's just printing and it's a bane <laughs> of my existence. I don't know why I chose that option. It was a bad choice. Anyway, talking about Hebrews, the Pauline epistle to the Hebrews, probably not actually written by Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what kind of, what kind of facts do you have to support that? Cause well, I mean, that seems slanderous to both the collators and editors of the canon and mm-hmm. me personally. To you, you personally. You, yeah. Why not? You were involved in, in the, uh, establishing of the biblical canon? No, or? but I have empathy for them and their hard work. Oh yeah. And you're so offending me. Some of them actually, I think it was origin. Um, one of the early church fathers was like, this is way too well written to be Paul. <laughs> like, it, it, there's this quote from him that's like, Paul himself admitted that he wasn't a good writer. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, and I have to say, I agree with that assessment. Okay. Uh, but apparently, there's a popular theory that it was written by Priscilla. Um, Priscilla being. Priscilla, the queen of the desert? Wait, um, who's that? <laughs> Yes, obviously that, but also um, Paul mentioned Priscilla um, a couple times, I think, in Romans as like a fellow worker in Christ or whatever, um, who's like 
worked alongside me or whatever. Sure. And so many years at Christ Corp. Apparently, that's a uh, a popular theory. I have no idea how to evaluate the likelihood of that, mm-hmm. but um. Well, popular things are better than unpopular things. I well, I think it would be really cool if there was one fucking Bible book that was written by a woman. Mm-hmm. And since, like, the main point of the Bible is just to pick the parts that you like and selectively reinforce those to, like, um, force everyone else to deal with your biases, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's what I'll do here. Okay, well. So it's written by Priscilla. Yeah. Done. Uh, Yeah, don't at me. (laughs) Spoken like a true Twitter user. Am I doing that good? Um, You know, these epistles are, are open letters that Paul writes to churches. That, you know, will address the theological question or lecture them about what they're doing wrong. Um, they're named after the churches that they're sent to. So, you know, like Romans was sent to the church in Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corinthians was sent to the church in Corinth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Timothy was sent to the church in Timothy. Yeah, <laughs> that was a pastoral epistle. So it was a little different. But this one is addressed to the Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I guess they're probably in Jerusalem. Um, maybe not. I'm just speculating. Uh, speculating all over the mic over there. <laughs> Jesus. Speculating. Um, so these are obviously um, people who have converted from Judaism to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the epistles so far have been reaching out to Gentiles who have converted to Christianity. Because that's Paul's main mission. Yeah. So they were, you know, previously worshiping whatever Greek or Roman gods or some form of... You would think that in and of itself would sort of rule Paul out, right? Because, I mean, it's not that Paul would never want to convert Jews, but like... It does, yeah. He has made many strenuous arguments in these very pages that say (laughs) that they should be focusing on Gentiles and not Jews. And uh, that's... You don't see that here at all. Mm. This is like clearly written by someone Jewish for Jewish people, very comfortable with Judaism, like... The assumption is very much, yeah, we all know, like, you know, the Old Testament. Yeah, let me get you some hot hot examples yeah. from the Old Testament that will resonate with you, my audience. Um, That's what I say at the beginning of every, of every speech that I give. Yeah. I want to hear what you think by talking. Yeah, that's a great speech. I'm very bad at giving speeches. Your, your Toastmaster classes are really paying off. Mm-hmm. Chapter one. Uh just dives straight into a very intense theological argument. There's no uh, there's no standard Pauline opening where he's like, hey, guys, it's Paul. Praise the Lord and get your guest room ready for me. Mm-hmm. Um, we just start, bam, right with the theology. And uh, it's interesting because it goes all in very quickly on Jesus being God's son, but definitely not god himself right um which of course goes against the doctrine of the trinity that christianity eventually settled on but it hadn't been settled on yet Mm -hmm. at this point so it says in the past god spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe so (laughs) number one thing this author wants to establish after this is that Jesus is definitely superior to angels. He's superior to many things, including angels. Yes. Did God ever make an angel his son? No. No. Did God ever tell Jesus to bow down to the angels instead of the other way around? No. No. 
So stop comparing him to angels. Apparently something this author needed to address. Yeah, much of this text feels like somebody trying to close a bunch of loopholes <laughs> or address arguments that have already been made about why they shouldn't accept Jesus as divine. Mm-hmm. So in a weird way, the arguments feel very pointed, but not really relevant because nobody here is being is making the right. counter arguments. Yeah, yeah. Well, nobody here. John I mean, Milton's Lucifer just, is taking notes going, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just meant in this room. I'm going to contact my union rep. Um, I don't get it. Because <laughs> he didn't want to bow down. This is not what he signed up for. Mm-hmm. You know, angels, humans, whatever. Uh, God created humans to be a little lower than angels, is what the author of this book says. Uh, Priscilla, obviously. I think by the number says. scheme, it's one lower than angels, right? Um, yeah, well, it says a little lower than angels. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're talking about like numerology mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, the number scheme. That's what we call it here. he still loves humans, God does, and that's why he sent his son to be one of them for a while. Um, there's this quote here um, in chapter 2. It says, We see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So, in the oldest manuscripts, it doesn't say by the grace of God. Hmm. It says apart from God. Hmm. So, like, that really emphasizes the author's belief that Jesus was fully human when he was on earth. Like, there was none of this docetic nonsense where Jesus is a mirage who doesn't need to eat or whatever. Right, or that he carried some sort of all spark in him, like right. a transformer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh God, that is what it's called in Transformers, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Um, yeah, so he was definitely like flesh and blood. He was temporarily, but definitely separated from God and lower than angels. So that's like, (laughs) it's weird to find that in the Bible because it seems like very much not what you're allowed to think anymore, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I mean, I I don't really know, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, thanks. Um, it says both the one who makes people holy, i.e. Jesus, and those who are made holy, i.e. humans, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Um, and then there's this passage that it's kind of long to read out loud, but I'm going to read it. So everybody buckle in. Well, do you mind not apologizing for the things you do before you do them? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a woman. That's what I've been trained to do. Okay, cool. Since the children have flesh and blood... He too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Mm-hmm. So, like, the reason that I wanted to read that whole thing out loud is because, A, I like it. But, B, this author is very unambiguous mm-hmm. about Jesus being human on Earth. Like, they go to great lengths to phrase it in multiple different ways and just say it, like, five different times in a row. And establish that that's one of the main reasons that he can actually offer salvation to humankind. Yeah. Is that he was human. Yeah. Like, that's the only 
way that that would work in his opinion. Yeah. Or her opinion. Yeah, her. Definitely. Mm-hmm. 100% her. Um, I don't really get still like the exact mechanism of how that's supposed to work <laughs> and why God can't just let us go to heaven without sacrificing anyone or whatever. But I do think that like this this sort of framing of Jesus and of the crucifixion like makes more intuitive sense to me, you know, like. Explain. Explain, damn it. <laughs> I don't see why Jesus would need to be tempted in order to help those who are tempted, but it makes sense in kind of a symbolic, like, poetic justice kind of level, mm. you know? Like, if I if I don't have to take it literally, and it's just an interesting thing to think about, then I really like it. Like, mm. the idea that God has to become a human and suffer and be tempted, and that allows him to help us, you know? Um. Also, of course, like how it basically equates having a human body with suffering, because Mm -hmm. as our longtime listeners know, I think that having a human body is bullshit and we should all just upload our consciousnesses to the cloud. But who's going to take care of those cloud computers when you're in the cloud? Other computers. Other computers? Yeah, robots. Damn it. You've thought of everything. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, it's not like Jesus became human. And he got to enjoy a nice cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, like Jesus became human and he got to have a nice, warm, relaxing bath and mm-hmm. and understand what that was like being a human. You know, it's just like Jesus became a human so he could feel pain and suffer and die. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's what being a human is to me. <laughs> uh, chapter three is like, I'm not saying that he wasn't like the greatest human ever. He definitely was the greatest human ever. He was greater than everyone, including Moses. But he is a human. So the interesting thing about this book to me is how hard they work to like contextualize Jesus within like the greater Jewish Mm -hmm. spiritual history Mm -hmm. while also explaining why he's so exceptional. Yes. Um, So. But I think that they pull it off better than like any other book that we've read so far. In terms of making that relationship work. Yeah. I agree. Um. As a as a whole, just looking at it, I mean, it doesn't it, it doesn't seem to make any like super strong sense. Like <laughs> well, you would have to be have, have been like converted by Jesus or one of his buddies on the ground, I think, f- to read this and be like, yes, this makes sense. Hmm. This makes sense. You don't think you could just be like anybody Jewish at this time and find that this makes sense? You know, I, I really don't know. Yeah. But coming at it from the angle that I have where I've just read the books. Uh huh. And then I'm I read the Gospels, let's say, and then just skip straight to Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Um, not sold, hmm. not sold okay. entirely. Okay, seems a seems a bit weak. But anyway, what I wanted to say is, it says Jesus is superior to Moses. Yeah, the justification that they give is very interesting. <laughs> I'd say. Okay, <laughs> go and ahead. Is very like very legalese in, in a weird All way. All right, because in Scripture, Moses is described as one of the the top servants of God's house. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is the son of the house of God. Mm-hmm. And in household terms, I guess, a son is always above every servant. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> They're servants. Like, who cares? But it just seems like a strange quirk <laughs> of language that was exploited to become like a legal argument about why Jesus was superior to Moses. Fair. Fair. Um, I also like that it says... But also, like, it's like while we're on the topic of Moses, mm-hmm. um, 
please don't harden your heart against Jesus because otherwise you're just going to be like those idiots that Moses had to babysit for 40 years in the desert who kept making golden calves the fucking minute he turned his back. And I was like, you know what? That's a good point. That is a good point. Um, Chapter four is a... Well, before we move on. Oh, yeah. There's a great line in chapter oh, three that please. I really liked. Lay it on me. Um, And I will say, overall, some of the writing in this book is very effective. Mm-hmm. It's it's structured more like a sermon, I feel like, than like a... Hmm. I mean, it's it's it it has a as an air of rhetoric to it. If you don't, I think it's mind just a saying. better written epistle. If that's what it is, then that's what it is. I trust you. Okay, great. I get to dictate reality to you now. Well, I can't uh, wait to exploit this for my own gain. What do you say? Nothing. I didn't hear you say anything. Oh, okay. Um, that's good because I didn't say anything. The line that I liked it says, "Quote, but exhort." one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin oh yeah and it's just basically saying to be a christian you have to be on your toes and you have to be managing each other and keeping each other on task yeah it's spiritually speaking extremely similar to like 12-step programs Mm. they're like that's like a very core tenet of 12-step programs that it's like just for today and also like one day at a time, mm-hmm. and also we're keeping each other responsible, you know? The phrase, as long as it is called today, I don't know. It stuck out a little bit to me because it didn't seem like... It's it's a kind of a weird phrase. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it, like, sounded more natural in the original Greek, but... But it does have... It does have... Uh... Stickiness? Seamlessness? Disruption? It does remind me a bit of inspirational speakers or self-help, like contemporary self-help stuff. Uh-huh. One day at a time is like, I feel like a very standard totally. self-help concept. Are we cool to move on to chapter four? Yes. He's not cool. Oh, okay. He's he's letting me by. Chapter four is a reminder about keeping the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what the context is here. It seems like people haven't been keeping the Sabbath properly and whoever's writing this needs to remind them to do it. Maybe this is during the time when early Christians were switching the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Maybe or maybe Jewish converts were like, why don't we just keep the same Sabbath or something like that? Um, But here's the here's the quote that I liked. Uh, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. This is a weird theological idea, right? That like heaven is you getting back to God's day of rest. Oh, I wasn't really connecting it to heaven. I was just like connecting it to the Sabbath. Mm. Um, but you're probably right. I mean, because when are these people not talking about heaven? <laughs> but um, I just thought it was like a good idea (laughs) it's just like yeah people should take a break i mean everybody should take a break this is like it's actually been a very important concept to me uh to think when i'm like stretched really thin to think even god rested on the seventh day has that been helpful for you yeah like recently you've been like yes even the big man rests. very much so Mm. like the idea that you you actually have to take a break. You can't be working 24 seven and mm-hmm. like not even God can do that. You know, I mean, obviously I don't literally believe in God, but I find that a very uh, reassuring concept. And then when I let myself take a break, then I get refreshed and then I can go back to work and I'm more effective and stuff. So that's the concept of a break. You've nailed it. Yep. God nailed it. 
that was like built into creation. God built God invented the first break. Yeah. Mm. Like I I think that's such a cool concept to be built into the creation story. Hmm. You know? Moving on from the Sabbath, we're going to get into this this juicy bit about the high priest. So this author contends that and I'm not sure whether this was, you know, like an original invention or part of the larger strain of like Jewish Christianity. You're just saying that cuz a woman wrote it. You're doing me. You're doing me one and I don't know why. I don't know what I did. I wish that I could describe your face. You were just like, "What the fuck? <laughs> why are you doing this to me?" This author contends that, uh-huh. that Jesus is like very much within the tradition of Jewish high priests. And in fact, he is the ultimate high He's priest. He's like the high priest of high priests. Right. Um, and so it starts off with this quote, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Mm-hmm. The idea of like Jesus being able to empathize with us because he went through the same things, that's, I think, just the best idea about Jesus. I love that idea of Jesus. Um, the idea that he's like a spark sent from the Pleroma mm-hmm. does nothing for me. But the idea that like he's God and he, he only understands God stuff or mm-hmm. he's some sort of semi-divine or he's a divine being like just below God or whatever. But then like when he comes down and he's like, oh, my God, this is really hard. Mm-hmm. Like humans, like you guys to, are constantly worrying about like staying fed you and have having to a just place like, to stay. Yeah, you have to find food. Multiple times per day. That's insane. And then in among all that, you also have to squabble and struggle just to find some, like, dignity. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, this this argument about the high priest, the author develops it and then leaves alone for a while and then comes back and develops it some more. So there's a lot of stuff kind of scattered throughout the whole book. But um, basically, the idea is that when you have like a regular old human high priest, mm-hmm. that's like the most holy man in your society. Mm-hmm. That's like the holiest human in your society. And he kind of acts as an intermediary between humans and God. And it says he can, quote, deal gently with people when they fuck up because he knows what it's like to fuck up because he's a human. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he's probably like a better human or God wouldn't have chosen him to be the high priest. or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so... The idea is that basically that's what Jesus did, but like on a cosmic scale that um, he can like empathize with us fucking up because he experienced how it is to be weak and fragile as a human. Um, There's this really interesting quote. During the days of Jesus's life on Earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who would save him from death. Mm. And he was heard because of his reverent submission Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So according to this author, it wasn't... Very interesting reading of the passion yes, there. Yeah. It wasn't foreordained that Jesus would come down and die for our sins. Instead, what happened was like Jesus started out imperfect because he was in human form mm-hmm. and humans are inherently imperfect. But then through suffering, he learned obedience to God and became so perfectly obedient to God that God granted him his prayer not to die 
So in a very roundabout way where he had to die for a little while, (laughs) but then not die. But So in this reading, like the moment after he says, father, father, why have you forsaken me? Uh That's when he gets his his perfection, his perfection. I thought it was more referring to him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm. So interestingly, my Bible has some notes on this. The quality Oxford NRSV Bible had a couple of very interesting notes specifically on this part. I actually read this one online, so I didn't have my normal NIV footnotes, even though I'm sure they would only make it worse. But please go ahead. So the moments when he's crying out, Mm -hmm. they said were probably one of two things. Either the Garden of Gethsemane or, Uh or, you know, could be both as well. But it could also be sort of placing him in the history of of Jewish heroes. Mm -hmm. Um, The prophets are always crying out. Prophets are always crying out, especially... Like Abraham and Moses both had semi-contentious relationships with God. <laughs> That's a cool way to think about it. Semi-contentious relationships with God. Yeah. I mean, there, no, were ti- there were times when they cried out and they said, this isn't fair. Yes. I don't understand. Yes. I, you know. Don't do this to I'm me. suffering. Yeah. yeah. And even after those times, they were given covenants or the covenants were renewed. And in the context of this author's opinions where Jesus created a new covenant between humanity and God that directly proceeded his suffering and his crying out. Yes. So that sort of places it in the same lineage as these these Jewish heroes that have have created covenants in the past. Yeah. That makes sense. And I say that only because it seems a little confusing about what exactly this author could have been, could have been talking about. In terms of achieving perfection. Yeah. Yeah. But the idea, like, just the phrase, once made perfect, mm-hmm. like, that's so surprising to me to mm. read in the Bible because. That does give a, a more nuanced view of, of Jesus's divinity than we're presented with in yeah. a lot of the New Testament. Yeah. yeah. It's like definitely not God himself here. Right. The, the Trinity is not present here. No, this is much more complicated. This is like a holy thing incarnated. Well, I think it's less complicated because it's not a paradox. That's true. You know? yeah, anything that's not a paradox is less complicated. And I mean, not to say that I don't have a problem with it being a paradox. I think a paradox is an interesting way to think about God. Mm-hmm. If you assume that like humans can't really comprehend the true nature of God, you know, then a paradox seems like a good way to kind of think about it. But I like this better. <laughs> this like hits me in my feelings more, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of Jesus struggling and and achieving perfection through, through empathy, through and empathy and suffering and and obedience to God, you know, mm-hmm. holiness. Yeah, that is a that is a strong play. Um, we're about halfway through the book. Do you want to take a quick break and then come back and work on some more Hebrews? It's not work. It's I mean, for you, audience, not you, Lauren. No. <laughs> you know why I do this. <laughs> oh, but, I know why. But for you, the audience, this is not work. This is this is pleasure. <laughs> why did you make it sound so creepy? Look, that's just my style. All right. Thank you for creeping. We'll see you after some music. Okay, love you. Bye.
Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. My name is Nico. And I'm Lauren. And we're talking about the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. We're talking about, quote unquote, Paul's epistle to the Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Definitely written by Priscilla, not Paul. 100%. Mm-hmm. There's definitely proof. 100 uh, emoji, 100 emoji, <laughs> um, eyeballs emoji, <laughs> fire, fire, fire. And check mark, check mark, check mark. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're at the part where the author, i.e. Priscilla, says, uh, you know, you guys are like little Bible babies that still need milk instead of solid food. You're supposed to be more advanced than this by now, but it's fine. It's fine. I um, think it's it's cool. This is a very refreshing passage in the Bible for me. How come? Because chapter six starts with the author basically saying, now we move past basic Christianity. You all know how this works. Like, you know how to get baptized. You Mm -hmm. know what you're supposed to do to your neighbors. Blah, blah, blah. Here are the things that you already know. And very few times in the Bible has somebody said, now we're not going to cover the basics again. (laughs) Instead, they're like, this would be a great time to cover the basics again. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think like for most of the epistles, well, the ones that are written by real Paul anyway, Mm -hmm. and, and also the ones that aren't, it's like the idea is... I have a version of the basics. Right. You Which, have a different version of the basics. And so I'm I'm interpreting that as I need to teach you the basics. Mm-hmm. But yeah, <laughs> this author does say like, yeah, we're past that. I mean, you guys apparently aren't past it, but we're supposed to be past it. <laughs> um, But like. I just felt that the author was showing me some respect. Some respect. There. Yeah. Like you've been on this whole Bible journey. You yeah. know about baptism. You know about the covenants. And I'm like. I do know about that. <laughs> yeah, I've been reading one per week for like over a year now. Then she, the author, gets back to comparing Jesus to a high priest again. Um, and we've got a new sort of branch in this argument now. This gets wacky as fuck. Yeah. Um, so she specifically compares him to Mel- Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. Or Melchizedek. Yeah, I think in Hebrew it would be... Melchizedek, I think. I'm not 100% sure. We can call him Milky Z. Milky Z, who's mentioned in Genesis as a, quote, high priest of the most high God um, who blesses Abraham. And the author points out, like, that's before there even were high priests. Mm -hmm. Like, Abraham was, like, the first person, like, in this lineage. To have that relationship with God. Yeah, so, like, it's still going to be a couple of generations before we even get to Jacob, mm-hmm. and then Jacob's going to have 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of them becomes the priestly class. Yeah, yeah including Levi, um, whose tribe is established as priestly class. Uh, but none of that has happened yet. And so then this author points out, like, yeah, Jesus isn't a Levite. He's from the tribe of Judah. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to be a Levite to be a high priest. Like, Melchizedek wasn't a Levite because that didn't even exist yet. And, like, our religion was in a different phase back then, so it makes sense that God would use, like, a different sort of priest. And now we're starting a whole nother phase, so it, it makes, makes sense. also that, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's interesting stuff about this. In the notes to my Bible, they pointed out a couple of interesting things about Melchizedek. Go on. Apparently, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were some, like, alternate old versions of jewish books yes okay so the dead sea scrolls for anybody who doesn't know um they are uh 
only Jewish. There's no there's no information about Jesus or Christianity in the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were discovered in a in a cave in this city called Qumran, and they were they shed a bunch of light on like alternate versions of Jewish texts that nobody had ever seen before mm-hmm. before they were discovered in like the 40s yeah something like that mm-hmm. yeah 40s through 60s yeah. 1940s so they were there for a long time mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway in amongst these texts were some alternate versions where Melchizedek's role was like exaggerated really mm-hmm. interesting and even some like there was a bit of mythology about him um including the fact that he was like immortal wow i like don't even remember him <laughs> that, he, that, he, that he was like a, that he was like a semi semi mythological character almost Whoa. you know that he was like he was more than just like a guy who was around at the time that abraham sealed the covenant which is what it seems like in the original text in yeah Genesis. like it's not it's mentioned. Like he's just like a guy yeah he's just like yeah he was a high priest like he was a really holy guy anyway moving on yeah anyway so there was some like advanced level melchizedek fanfic in the dead sea scrolls interesting so there may have been some level of like mysticism or weirdness involved especially with melchizedek interesting which makes his appearance here interesting as well that's kind of funny because i was thinking like you were thinking that they were reaching for some very obscure reference to try to make their point yeah because i thought that the point was like okay i'm talking to a jewish audience Mm -hmm. um like this i'm talking about how this all fits into judaism and i'm saying jesus is a high priest but he's not a levite so i gotta figure out some way around that <laughs> um and i was just like i, I think, was I, I think there's absolutely some of that in there as well yeah that but, makes sense but, but the point of comparison i think is to somebody that is like maybe like extra mystical interesting i was just kind of like yeah it's fine like <laughs> i don't need to be convinced that jesus had to be a levite you know <laughs> nobody would need that now but so even in this text, the way Melchizedek is described is mystical in a strange way. Um, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Wait, that's about Melchizedek? I thought that was about... No, it can't be about Jesus. Because Jesus has a mother. Big part of the story. And a genealogy. And a genealogy. Another big part of the story. Hmm. So Melchizedek is another one of these guys with the eternal priesthood. Hmm. Just like that one fellow that speared those two people got uh, like eternal hero ship or whatever. Oh, yeah. Who was that? It was like. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember his name. Elihu now. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. Huh. Interesting. So they may. So the author may have been tapping into like a, a deeper strain of Melchizedek worship that or or just veneration. Venerate. Yeah. No, worship is the wrong word. Yeah. That they were just not really aware of. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And is not borne out in the text that we have access to now. Hmm. Well, the high priest uh, essay keeps going. And I actually, I feel like this is actually really clearly laid out in a really understandable way. The author says that Jesus is holy, blameless, and pure, like a high priest. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, any high priest. Only more so than a regular high priest. Um, But it says that where a high priest has to make sacrifices, like animal sacrifices... Jesus doesn't because he sacrifices himself. And where a high priest can only be an intermediary between God and humans while he's alive, Jesus can do it forever in heaven. Um, And the author compares it to like, okay, so you have the temple in Jerusalem mm-hmm. where like 
there's increasingly holy rooms that fewer and fewer people are allowed into. Right. Until you get to the holiest of holies where only the high priest only can the go high priest once can a go. year. Yeah. And and has to like be cleansed by blood with a certain sacrificial ritual. Um, and so then it's like for Jesus, all of creation is the temple and he used his own sacrifice to enter the holiest room, which is heaven. Mm. Um, and like that just kind of makes sense. Like, I don't know. It's just laid out in a way that it's like, yeah, we have this uh, we have this whole religion and this follows the rules of our religion in mm-hmm. the following way. And it just explains it really clearly. I was like, oh, oh OK, got it. Yeah. The author also noted that at the signing of every new covenant. Somebody had to spill blood. Yes. And it was always sacrificial blood, lamb's blood or whatever. Yes. But with this new covenant. According to the author, the best covenant, because it's like the one that will take everybody to heaven and has forgiven everybody's sins. Yeah. Jesus took it up a notch and shed human blood for the well, covenant. Well, yeah. Like his own blood. His own blood, yeah. which was, yeah. Sort I, of I think it's human. so interesting because we've talked a little bit about it before, about the connection between Jesus's personal sacrifice and the history of the sacrifice, sacrificial system in Judaism. Yeah. Um, but this is like... This lays it out real nicely. I know, and it lays it, it out, and it's like a very practical argument, right? Mm-hmm. Like the author is like, okay, so we keep making these animal sacrifices over and over, <laughs> and then we keep sinning, and so then we have to keep doing it again. So it makes perfect sense to have somebody just come in here and just do one big sacrifice and get the whole thing over with, right? You know, it's like just stop patching up the kitchen sink every time it leaks and get the plumber in here to like actually fix the pipe. You mm-hmm. know, probably should have. Than a carpenter metaphor instead of a plumber metaphor. I liked it. You know who else was a plumber? Mario. That's right, baby. <laughs> Jumpman himself. <laughs> um, America's favorite hero. Yeah. So I don't know. I liked it. I was like very convinced by this argument in terms of like, well, just there's such a big disconnect between the Old Testament God and the New Testament yeah, God. Yeah. It's um, really interesting to see the connections laid out better than they have been yeah this which is, is has basically been not at all yeah so far <laughs> this is like the only time i've seen it laid out successfully and i feel like i didn't learn any of these verses when i was a kid like none of these verses are familiar to me um but christianity has this weird relationship to the old testament mm-hmm. where like they're supposed to consider it holy in the word of god spiritually true but no i mean they're supposed to consider it literally true mm. At least in the interpretation of Christianity as is dominant in America right now. Um, And I mean, definitely Christians refer a lot to sort of like morals that you learn in the Old Testament. You Mm -hmm. know, they'll be like, oh, well, David learned this lesson and that's why we should also learn that lesson or whatever. And Lot learned this lesson. Right. Um, But nobody has really like laid out why all of a sudden... This God that's been one way for thousands of years, like, changed his mind and did a bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. And, like, this argument is the only one that I've seen, not just in the Bible, but in, like, contemporary writings or, like, writings by theologians throughout history that I've read. Like, this is the only one where I've been like, oh, okay, that that would connect it, you know? That this is just like a very enterprising high priest. <laughs> yeah. It's who's like, like, let's take this sacrifice shit to the next level. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we have the system. Now we're going to just like level the system up. 
and and it'll be very convenient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of doing all these animal sacrifices, we're gonna do one big sacrifice. And like God I like, is I really like the idea that too that animal blood can't wipe away human sin. Yeah. You know? That like like it makes sense, you know. It really does, like just on a just makes sense. On like a species math yeah. level. Yeah. And like the idea that, yeah, so I'm gonna point out that a couple times when God did change the covenant, mm-hmm. you know, it's not that God is like it's not he's not just doing things on a whim. Right. Which is kind of what it seems like. Capricious? Yeah, capricious. He's not just capricious and like inconstant. Mm-hmm. Just like, eh, now I feel like a new covenant. It's like, here are some some specific points in biblical history. Where we change the covenant a little, like made one with Abraham, made one with Moses. You know, they're they're different ones. And it's brilliant in the way the Old Testament is structured, because as the world gets more complicated, the covenant gets more complicated mm-hmm. until like the covenant that they undertake when they're actually in the Holy Land with other groups of people. Yeah. is Much, much more complicated and different than the covenant that Abraham takes. Right. When, and so then it makes sense if you're like, oh, yeah. And so now it's been a few hundred years and uh, the world's even more complicated. We've got a new one. Yeah. yeah. So it's more like the French idea of the Constitution as opposed to the American idea of the Constitution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know what the French idea of the Constitution. Well, is. they're happy to rip it up and start again. Oh, that's nice of them. Yeah, we should definitely do that. As opposed to America, where we're like, for some reason, all <laughs> hung up on this document from the 18th century. And honestly, like the reason that we're hung up on it has to do with American Christianity. Like it has to do with the way mm. that American Christianity has a history of taking the Bible literally and uh, promoting it above any other consideration. And they do that same thing with the Constitution as if it were a holy text. Anyway, people shouldn't do that with the real Bible, let alone with the Constitution. <laughs> let alone with just you know? a thing that some guys wrote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of them pretended to be God yeah. except John Hancock. <laughs> that motherfucker. Uh, anyway, that's uh, a tangent. But yeah. Chapter 11. Chapter 11 is about faith. And it starts off, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I think that's the only Bible verse from here that sounds familiar to me. Um, That's a very decent definition of faith as well. Yeah, it is. Again, a practical definition. Mm -hmm. Um, The author goes way, way back to the very beginning of time and gives a whole rundown of great things that various Bible characters have done through faith. So, uh, quote, by All your favorite characters. Yes. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, et cetera, et cetera. It goes through a bunch of examples. Um, And then it's like, and this continues right up into the present day when we've got, you know, us Christians and we're getting thrown in jail and we're getting stoned to death. Um, but we have faith that we will get something better, which is heaven. Mm-hmm. In amongst the descriptions of uh, the acts of faith throughout history, it, the author begins exhorting us to... Uh, exhorting us. Ex- exhorting us to... Get our horts out. Mm-hmm. Get those horts out of your body. <laughs> Just they're X them dangerous, out. dangerous, and they're in everything that you eat. No, the important thing is that we actually be... There is a floating iceberg of horts in the pacific ocean bigger than texas <laughs> that's funny i like that um thank you baby the <laughs> what it's actually doing is is geeing you up and being like you got to have faith every day here are some powerful messages to make you be, feel like a powerful yeah. christian boy <laughs> yeah yeah they're kind of like power up uh phrases power mm-hmm. up horts and most of them are pretty like standard, I'd say, from from most of this 
uh, New Testament literature. Mm-hmm. But there were there was one that I really, really liked. What's that? Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Hmm. I like that. I also like um, uh, the author. She starts talking about like when you go through hard times, that's God disciplining you Mm -hmm. um, like a father disciplining a child. Um, And there's a quote. (laughs) I don't think I wrote it down, but it's like. We've all been disciplined by our fathers, and we respected them for it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, um, cool, interesting uh, take. But um, but I like this quote, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And in fact says that your duty as a Christian should be never to avoid hardship. Yeah. That it should be to seek it out. And I feel like that's an interesting idea because people do i mean obviously people do sometimes like learn and grow from hardship mm-hmm. sometimes it traumatizes them and makes them unable to learn and grow unable yeah. to learn and grow but but you do often hear people saying like oh this horrible thing happened to me but i do it all again because it made me who i am today and mm-hmm. i like learned this and i grew in this way um and i don't think that has to do with god i think that has to do with like uh, humans making meaning for themselves. Um, which Absolutely. Is I think the... if you know that you're going to die someday, <laughs> that yeah. your movement forward or, or your, your change has to has to be fulfilling in some way. But I think that is a, a very, um, not just a very universal, but also a very, like, beautiful thing that humans do. Mm-hmm. And um, although I don't think that has anything to do with any divine being, if you're going to believe in a divine being, I like sort of connecting that to that. Yes, I, I agree. I agree because that's an admirable thing that humans do. And if Christianity can convince more people to to embrace that that style of thinking, mm-hmm. um, then it's it's a good thing for people. Yeah. I don't know if if it does or not, but I do have. A badass section title for you here. Section. You don't have the section titles. I don't have the section titles. So this one is called The Mountain of Fear and the Mountain of Joy. Ooh. Yeah. And the author says you have not come to a mountain of fear like Moses did when he went up to get the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And like he like couldn't gaze directly upon God and he was like trembling. And then like when he came down, people couldn't even look at him because he mm-hmm. was glowing and all that stuff. Um. They had to put a sheet over him, over his face, yeah. just so that he could talk to the people. Yeah, they had yeah. to put like a veil on him. Uh, and he's like, "Instead, you've come to a mountain of joy, where you get to be happy with Jesus and all your fellow believers and stuff." Um, <laughs> but it's like, I mean, definitely, if you don't believe in Jesus, God will destroy you. But it's a mountain of joy. <laughs> We're just having fun and hanging loose over here. I mean, you will, you know, be eternally damned, but but it's great. <laughs> Um, I also really like the description of Judgment Day in this passage, Mm. where it says, uh, God has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Mm -hmm. What cannot be shaken may remain. That's a good, that's a good slogan. That is good. That would be like if I had a hardcore band. Then our yeah. first album could be called. No, that would be the band name. That would sure. be the band name. Absolutely. Oh shit! I you forgot. know it would. <laughs> what cannot be shaken may remain. Uh, chapter thirteen, the last chapter. 
Uh, before we go all the way to chapter 13, um, I in chapter 12, I really, really liked the author's reading of Esau. Oh, yeah, Did yeah, Did you yeah. notice this? I kind of skimmed over it. It was, it's a weird one. Um, See to it that no one becomes like Esau, an immoral and godless person who sold his birthright for a single meal. Mm-hmm. It's like... And then says, basically, Esau came back later, like, bitching and moaning because he wanted his birthright, yeah. but he had already sold it and he wasn't smart enough to get it back. Yeah. Is that really how you want to read that story? I mean, it's it's an interesting reading of that story, isn't it? But I kind of like it because it's like... um. When you're talking about your birthright, you're talking about like, like you got to take that shit seriously, mm. you know, like. I mean, and there's no doubt that he didn't take it seriously. Right. He he was like, I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm hangry. I need that porridge. Yeah. I need those red lentils. So that that moment of decision between Jacob and Esau, I mean, like Esau could have said no. Yeah. Esau said he could have said no when Jacob offered him. Yeah. That soup. I mean, Jacob did deliberately trick him, but. Well, the second half. Yeah. Like, doesn't reflect badly on Esau at all because Jacob tricks his dying father. Oh yeah, that's true to get too. His, <laughs> to get his deathbed blessing. That's true. Like too. that. That's. There's nothing Esau could do about that. That's not Esau's fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when he tried to go back to get his father's blessing because he was owed it, and Jacob tricked him. But maybe the 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 idea is like, if you don't take your shit seriously then you're gonna lose it like then you're gonna get tricked yeah well just like then it's not really yours if if you're not thinking of it if you're not thinking of like god's laws or whatever as like something you need to take seriously because that's like your birthright and that's like what you got to do to be a good person Mm -hmm. or what you got to do to like follow god then of course you're gonna lose it you got to stay focused but like I appreciate that. But also Jacob definitely deliberately tricked him. So, <laughs> And Jacob did it to to make to like take the inheritance right? yeah. and like yeah. the mystic powers that were bequeathed to his family yeah. from God. Yeah. That were not rightfully his. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. So it's funny that they would call that the author would call Esau immoral for selling his birthright. But not Jacob for fucking for stealing it for stealing it for very like unambiguously stealing it hmm. interesting you're right that is weird <laughs> well chapter 13 we get some some final pointers on godly behavior um you know show hospitality hospitality show hospitaliano to strangers I thought you were about to speak hebrew there what was that uh don't commit adultery blah 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 um the author here takes some sort of stance on whether it's okay to eat sacrificed meat, uh, but I can't really tell what the stance is. Always a good sign. Um, I know you that know was... they're taking a stance, but you're not quite sure what the stance I, is. I know that was a hot topic from mm-hmm. other Pauline epistles, but uh, doesn't mean anything to us now, and I can't really interpret it. These takes have cooled with age. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These are some extremely frigid takes at this point. That <laughs> um, it does a very a very paul style sign off um including saying that timothy has been released from prison and paul will come with him to visit soon sure um i think that at some point on this podcast i've said like if you want to convince me that it's paul you just have to stick in a thing about like oh yeah yeah i'm gonna send timothy but i'll be there yeah i'll come and here's timothy (laughs) you know um then the idea is either it was 
either it was written by Paul for real, um, or it could have been written by Priscilla or somebody who also knew Timothy, mm-hmm. who was like also in the clique. Um, or it could have been edited afterwards. Or it could have just been added in afterwards to um, trick people like me who are like, he always does this. <laughs> I know the three top three things that Paul does yeah. in his letters. But that's like number three, right? And numbers one and two are like insecurity mm-hmm. and like preaching to Gentiles. And this doesn't have either of those. Yeah. Insecurity slash shade throwing. Yeah. And then preaching to Gentiles slash circumcision. Right. Um, and so this... we didn't mention no dicks. Yeah. Cross that off the list. Yeah. Yeah. And no insecurity. No, this is a very, uh, this is written by a very confident person. Yes, totally. It was. It's weird that you can tell that, right? Yeah. But you totally can. And confidence is sexy. <laughs> so this, this is the sexiest book of the Bible. Of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not going to touch Song of Songs. That's fair. That's fair. Um, It's also, I think, just like, I mean, like Origen or whatever church father it was that said it, like, it is just better written. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just clearer well because i think a lot of these books that we've read a bunch of have been hacked together from all places and the letters themselves like paul's letters aren't anything special but even the ones that aren't paul some of them can feel like that they're just frankenstein together you know Mm -hmm. this one has a very nice rhetorical flow through it yeah i felt i found myself going like i mean obviously i don't believe any of it Mm -hmm. um but i found myself going oh yeah Okay, that makes sense. And like following the argument as opposed to going like, Ugh, Paul, why? I feel like we're already there, but I think it's, I think we should rate this book. Yeah, let's rate it. Okay. How would you rate this Bible, my dear? I'm going to give it, should I do, I'm going to do like seven, I'm going to give it a full seven out of eight mm-hmm. mountains of joy. Um, Because, yeah, I, I mean, it was just clearer it was just so much clearer and better argued than so many of the pauline epistles and uh as an atheist if i'm going to like take value from the bible Uh it's i'm going to do it symbolically Mm. and um i think that the idea of jesus suffering and being able to empathize because of that suffering and like the idea that oh there's god he's like all powerful but he can't empathize because that is that is so true that is the that's what they're saying yeah that god can't empathize with us that, like, which creates such a more believable god than any other god in the theology i mean not necessarily more believable but just like better I mean, symbolically you th- I, I think it's more of a believable based on a day-to-day thing because people say, like, how could there be this suffering and this suffering uh-huh. without, if there's a real God there? Yeah. And the truth is, if he doesn't empathize with you, he doesn't recognize it he's, as suffering. He's so different from us that mm-hmm. he can't understand our suffering and he can't understand. That is the implication. I hadn't put that together. Yeah. That if Jesus, because of his time as a human, learned it, empathy. And like, that's what Jesus is, does. Yeah. The implication is God doesn't have empathy. and And that like. But Jesus gave that to us, like Mm. that Jesus was this bridge between God and humans in uh, in a way that didn't exist before. I think that really ties the fiction together. It's a beautiful idea. Mm -hmm. Like it's a beautiful narrative, a beautiful symbol. Um, And I'm really drawn to just the idea of like 
man, I was like this divine being. I was higher than the angels. And now I got to walk everywhere. <laughs> you know, like my feet hurt, you mm-hmm. know, I think that was what um, our listener and, and my friend uh, Cameron uh, said something about that. Like she sent an email to the show one time that was like, my feet hurt, you know, and and I want a fig <laughs> and this tree doesn't have any. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm used to just snapping my fingers and angels bring me whatever I want, you know. And now I understand what humans are going through. And, mm-hmm. you know, like that's just a beautiful idea to me um, that I can like derive value from even if I don't believe it literally. Yeah. I mean, I don't have anything more to say than that. Uh, I'll give it 11 out of 13. Milky Z's. Milky Z's. Nice. Mm-hmm. I thought it was. Oh, maybe I do have more to say. <laughs> yeah. Very nicely. Written. Don't we always have something more to say? Rhetorical quality was very high and more than anything else this felt like uh one of the apocrypha in a good way Hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah that it felt like a real historical document Hmm. in a way that some of the letters and stuff just don't feel like historical documents it's also just weird that like the the way that theology reached us Mm -hmm. at this point christian theology reached us was filtered so heavily through like Greek and Roman philosophy. Mm. And this like isn't. No, this feels pretty authentically Jewish. You know, this yeah. this so it seems much closer to like what Jesus actually believed and taught. And what 75% of the Bible is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I mean, even Christians today struggle with the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament God. Mm-hmm. And and we've talked a little on some episodes about how like different early Christian sects that were later stamped out tried to solve that problem. Like uh, Marcion of Sinope mm-hmm. was like, oh, those are two different gods. Right. You know, or like um, Gnostics were like, oh, uh, there's a real God. And then the one in the Old Testament is a lesser being. Um, and this just figures it out way more gracefully you know yeah and i i still can't get over the fact that it creates the idea of a of a god without empathy <laughs> yeah which would explain a lot about the old testament yeah wouldn't it like he was he was like he was he had, trying he had goals yeah <laughs> you know and he was trying to work with people but he just didn't understand what human suffering was because humans are just he's like why it's like us with dogs or something it's like why are you doing this yeah. <laughs> it's just just don't do that you yeah. know but then god's like all right, got to send Jesus down, figure this out, you know. <laughs> that's that's an interesting story to me. It's it's a very interesting story. And I don't know why. I I feel like I haven't I feel like I haven't memorized any verses from Hebrews. None mm. of this is familiar to me. It's I feel like this has been hiding in here. It's like this magical gem that like solves a bunch of my problems with Christianity. Mm. I just never knew about. I can't give you the answers to. I those mean, questions. obviously not all of them, but mm. like, I mean, the main one being that God exists. That's kind of <laughs> big hurdle to cross, but you know, symbolically speaking, mm-hmm. it solves a lot of problems. Yeah, symbolically speaking, it's time to move on to the next segment. What's the next segment? We got to crack that symbolical mailbag. Noise. So we got a lovely email from our listener Elizabeth. I wish we had time to read the whole thing. It was very delightful. 
She went to a Halloween party dressed as a conspiracy theorist and bugged everyone with details from our Ezekiel episode. Good good call. Her Christian middle school was rocked by a scandal about the YA novel, The Ear, the Eye, and the Arm. Did you know that one? Yeah. Read that one in the same year she did, seventh grade. Oh. Apparently not Christian. I don't remember it super well, but I remember loving it. Not super Christian. Uh, her mom is an editor at a Christian publishing house. Mm. And says that the Amish are the new trend in Christian romance novels. Questions abound. Questions Just abound. Just so much good stuff. So um, she also sent us two cats to curse. Aurelia, who came to her as an unwed teenage mother who had always abandoned her kittens to get high on the nip. And Esther Summerson Cat, who despite the name is a boy. Esther's a good boy's name. I agree. Our listener, Christina, wrote in. Not my sister. She said she listened to our podcast on a cross-country road trip. Where she saw a lot of church billboards. Must That'll been, happen. Must have been weird. <laughs> she suggests we do some Passions of the Saints for season three, which is definitely a strong possibility. Yeah, that's one of the ones we're looking at. Uh, and she sent us a very adorable cat to curse named Tonks. Also, a listener named Stephanie used her first 280 character tweet to they send gave us Stephanie a cat 280 to characters? We, <laughs> everybody that's, has 280 characters. Reference, right? That's good. <laughs> Uh, normally we, we prefer cats by email, but damn, if I am not honored and <laughs> if it is not a privilege to have somebody send their first 280 character tweet to me about their cat. Um, and this cat's name is Cat. Great name. And she's been sick. Hmm. So Stephanie's hoping for a quote unquote curse of health because Cat is dumb and loud, but I love her. Um, so. To Aurelia, Esther, Tonks, and Cat. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I'm hoping that gives Kat an out if she stops deliberately sinning. But, you know, as a cat, it's her nature to be cursed. So I don't know. But it's up to her now. We've put it in Kat's hands. Yeah, we've put it in Kat's hands. Kat's adorable little bean paws. Oh, the baby. <laughs> got little pads on there. You poke them and they don't like it. Hey, that'll do it for Sunday School Dropouts this week. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Sunschool Drop. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Lauren E. O'Neill. O'Neill spelled with an A like Shaquille spells if it. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Nico Bakulich. N-I-K-O. B-A-K-U-L-I-C-H. <laughs> We're also on Facebook. You can look for Sunday School Dropouts yeah, or at give Sun us School Drop. some damn thumbs on Facebook. Uh, leave us a dang iTunes review. Yeah, it's helpful um, to let, we, you know, we got a lot of good ratings, got a lot of good reviews. We're proud of everybody that's contributed. Um, it helps other people find the show. Uh, if you want to be part of a big, happy family that loves this weird thing. <laughs> Whatever the fuck this is. The best way to do it is to leave a review on iTunes. Uh, also, we thank Elise Carlton for our logo. And I thank Nico for his music, sound engineering, and editing skills. Any time of day, any day of the week, my dear. Oh, thank you. That will do it for Sunday School Dropouts this week. My name is Nico. And I'm Lauren. And we'll see you on Sunday. Bye. Bye.